Welcome to Piercing the Veil on BBSRadio.com, a show for truth seekers and rebels. Join us every week as we obliterate willful ignorance, corruption, globalist agendas, and more. Tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Pacific, and listen carefully as we provide crucial solutions, information awareness, and unique life hacks to improve our planet. Pierce the veil, and the truth will reveal itself. All right. Greetings, world. Welcome back to another episode of Piercing the Veil. We took a little bit of a break for the past couple of weeks, but I was extremely busy, and Corey had some other things going on. Uh, so we we come back here today to do a, a special interview with one of my old acquaintances and friends. Her name's Levon, and she's going to tell you a little bit about her travels, uh, travel blogging, and some things to do with ayahuasca, working briefly on an ayahuasca farm, and some other mishaps and uh, happy adventures that she's had along the way. Uh, so we're going to bring her in in just a minute, but like we usually do, we're keeping true to form. Corey and I are going to discuss a few things that are happening in the world right now. I know a lot of guys are on the edge of their seats. Uh, a lot of you all are on the edge of your seat, just waiting and seeing what's going to pop off. Are we going to have another Afghanistan, another Iraq invasion? And I'd like to be the the voice of calm, cool reason here. Uh, but even myself, I'm feeling a little antsy about the whole thing. Um, I did get a little bit of last minute information, and I'll get into that after I check in with Corey. Uh, so, Corey, how's it going today, man? How's it hanging? Everything's great, man. Beautiful day in sunny southern Arizona. All is well in the world, even though it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go. Um, I am hearing a little bit of a buzz in the background. Again, listeners, I apologize. It seems like since we started the show, I've gone through like seven different microphones and headphone sets. Uh, I've tried from different Wi-Fi areas, all sorts of different things. It, it seems like we still have this buzz. Sometimes I, only I can hear it and I end up looking like an asshole because nobody else can hear it. Yeah, and I can't sound hear good them. Sounds good on my end, bro. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure because it's very distracting to try to talk and hear this constantly, but I do that's it and mic- I hope it sounds good to you guys. Maybe, maybe that's the microwave beam that they're trying to disable you with. Anyways, uh, well, I wanted to start off like this. I have a pretty big network. I'm not some special secret agent guy that's got all the inside info, but I do occasionally pick up on a few key points of info uh, before everybody else, right? And that's just the nature of making friends with a lot of different people around the world. You have people in different areas that can tell you what's going on that you have a personal relationship with and you trust. I think in the media world they call these sources, but I don't even like using that word because there's so many people fucking LARPing on YouTube, stroking themselves. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I've got all the information, you know. I'm not trying to do that. However, what I've been told through one of my channels is that there's really no war in Syria. There's just limited skirmishes. And I mean, that might seem self-evident to some people, but it, there is no broad uh, World War III happening. Even in the past years, uh, when Obama tried to intervene, some other things, 
there's just been these little tit-for-tat events, right? And most of them are caused by al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, slash CIA, uh, slash ISIS, right? They're all the same fucking proxies. Uh, so these guys are really stirring the shit, but they were, they've been contained to like one central area and the Syrian army was winning the war. And then all of a sudden now, supposedly they've gassed their own subjects again. I mean, are you fucking serious? They tried this in 2009. They tried this and got the white helmets got outed. They got fucking just eviscerated for attempting to uh, fake a, a chemical attack. You know what I mean? And they just did this again. Now, where it gets confusing is for the past year, I've been like on halfway on the Trump train. Like, oh, you know, he's working with military intelligence. And, you know, the whole QAnon phenomena. These guys are the good guys. They're taking down the cabal, taking down the deep state. And then you go and look at some of the Twitter stuff that Trump is tweeting. And I can only, I can only imagine that he's just trolling. Like it's gotta be a troll. Like you can't take something that serious and be such a dumbass about it purposefully. You know what I mean? Without it being a troll. So people are like, Oh, we're really going to start World War three over, uh, over a tweet exchange. It's like, no, these guys are friends and buddy, buddy in the background. All China has met with Trump. Russia has met with Trump. North Korea has met with Trump. I think what he's doing is he's going in there and saying, Hey, we've got to play, we've got to play the, uh, the oil baron, uh, war hawk card for a little bit longer. So here's these 39 missiles that are going to be coming your way around this time period. You know, here's some special instructions on how to shoot them down. Because if you look, what was it like 28 out of 30 missiles were fucking shot down perfectly? You know what I mean? I know the Russians have some good tech that they've been given to Syria, but come on. We shoot 30 missiles at a place and two of them hit. And the two that hit only hit specifically in areas that supposedly are controlled by the deep state. Some deep state, uh, deep state, uh, manufacturing plants. You know what I mean? And it, it's just too weird. It's too strange for it to be anything other than, than a, a show, an orchestration if you will. You know what I mean? Corey, what do you think about that? The last uh, chemical attack almost a year ago, same type of scenario. Um, you know, the timing is stupid. Um, you know, the Assad forces have this place surrounded. Uh, ISIS has been pretty much contained from, you know, over the last year, from what I can tell. And Trump just publicly announced that he's looking to pull out. And then the next day, this thing happens. So it's just, you know, and then the only images that we see are kids, right, pulling at the heartstrings, being being washed down with water. That's it. And nobody and with know, hazmat suits on. Right. At least on mainstream, you know, mainstream uh, television. You know, I haven't really delved into any sort of other sort of alternative uh print media or online media as far as uh, stories coming out or assessments coming out of uh, of Syria. But it just seems like, <clears throat> it just seems kind of ludicrous. We know the last time he lobbed, what, 59 Tomahawk missiles, 23 basically landed at an abandoned Air Force base. There was nothing yeah. there. Yep. Where did Where did the other 26 go? No one's talking about that. Uh, I've heard some suggestions that they hit specific targets, ISIS targets, 
Can we get uh, uh, one second, Corey? Uh, Love? Yeah. Love yeah. is our guest today. Can you please mute your mic for a second, and then we'll bring you on? There's just some... Um, see if that takes... It did. Oh. It's a brand new thing, so I don't know if I can. Hang on. Maybe I okay. should just take it off. Forgive me, Corey, for interrupting you. That's okay. okay, perfect. All right. Anyway, just, yeah, it's a little better. Thank you. We'll get back to you in just one second. I apologize for the interruption. And to your point about, uh, you know, there's only two things going on. Trump is either, you know, he's either he's either real cunning, and he's playing everybody off each other. He's there's plenty of evidence that he plays the mainstream media and the deep state types. Uh, he just, you know, he's my assessment is is that he's feeding meat to the lions, and the crowd is going apeshit, right? So it's circus, it's kabuki theater to me. Now, in reality, you know, if his game if his game is not tight, then uh, you know there could be some, you know, when you play those kinds of games, there's lots of factors involved. Right. If he didn't, if he didn't reach out to Assad, if he doesn't, if he didn't reach out to Putin, if he doesn't have those kind of contacts, uh, you know, things can get hairy. And even if he did, things could get hairy anyway. You know, it's all real time. Anything, anything can happen. Right. It was the Israelis that said it all. Really, before anything happened, the Israelis. They fired. They missile. They fired missiles first. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, I think I think there's a. We know that there's a long-term strategy in the Middle East. It was Iraq, it was Syria, then they were going to do Lebanon, then they were going to do, uh, and then they were going to do Iran. And so, you know, it's pretty clear that that was the, that was the plan. Even, uh, what was his name? Um, General Clark came out and said, you know, gave his assessment when they were ramping up for war in Iraq. Uh, that he was told, now Iraq is just the beginning. And so there was this, you know, this long-term plan laid out, which actually came into existence, was, was, was established before 9-11 happened. So, I mean, this is a, this is a long-term strategy. And it looks to me that Trump, on a whole bunch of different fronts, domestically, internationally, in terms of the Middle East, and in terms of dealing with the deep state and dealing with corruption worldwide and so on and so forth, um, he's, he's, it looks as if he and his handlers are looking to dismantle a lot of the fuckery that's been in place for, for decades now, if not centuries. And, uh, you know, he's gotta play, he's gotta play, he's gotta make it look like Right? If he, if he makes it, I mean, look, look at the way the mainstream media, even people on the left, Democrats, people who would be, who 30 years ago would be completely anti-war, they're going apeshit, like he's a hero, because he's yeah. going to war. And so, so I, I agree uh, with you. I agree with you there on a lot of points. I gotta say he's faking mm-hmm. or feigning, um, or he's, he's doing something, like when you, when your enemy least expect it, you pretend like you've broken your leg and then all of a sudden you chop off their head. Uh, I gotta say, I, I'm not a big fence sitter, Corey. I'm not a big fence sitter, but even I am sitting on the fence on this one because I've got two different things, two different realities popping up in front of my face. On one hand, you've got this war hawkish rhetoric through Twitter 
and uh, oh, we're going to respond, and he's a monster. Assad is a monster that cannot be allowed to blow all the stupid bullshit that we saw with Kim Jong Il and we saw with the other stuff. Uh, and you've got all these missile missiles being fired and uh, everybody calling for war and all the stuff that's happening in the forefront would make you think, oh my god, I mean, this guy's either been bought out from the beginning, even though he played a good game and convinced us all otherwise with the QAnon stuff, or something else is happening. So if I look on the other side of things, you look at the fact that Congress, under his direction, under Trump's direction and, and instigation, Congress, uh, a congressman from Virginia, I believe, introduced a bill to restore the United States to a gold-backed currency nationwide. And then Trump is also pushing to return the ability to legislate cannabis uh, or legalize cannabis, if you will, decriminalize it back to the states. And he's apparently looking at ending federal prohibition and possibly firing that big old fucking Keebler elf Jeff Sessions. OK, I don't want to take yeah. up too much of our show with all of this. I am going to wrap this up. But on one side, I'm seeing a whole bunch of bullshit that that scares me and worries me. Even Alex Jones is going off on Trump. He's like, you fucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like that right there concerns me. But on the other hand. I've got information from somebody who's on the ground in Syria right now that says there's no fucking war happening. Assad is loved by his people. He walk and there's videos of this. He walks openly in public. He literally walks with no fucking bodyguards at all in the middle of huge crowds. He's going around to shopkeepers, shopkeepers, excuse me, shaking their hands, kissing babies, yada yada yada. And it's not just some PR stunt. He doesn't even know he's being filmed. There's some guy sneaking around with a camera. And then everything else that just tells me, you know. It was likely that we warned them in advance that, hey, we're sending missiles. Hey, we have to have some public show because Israel kicked off the, the game by firing off missiles. Uh, we have to have on the on the public side of things, we have to pretend like, you know, we're all for war and we're going to stop this and blah, blah, blah. And you on the public side, you had all this posturing, you know, warships being put into place off the coasts and Russia saying, if you attack, we're going to attack and retaliate. And yet they haven't retaliated. You know what I mean? Like right. what China and Russia are, are have swarmed Syria. They're in there. They've got all their defense positions and not a single thing has been fired except for interceptors to intercept the missiles. So it's just very suspect to me. I would I would actually reckon that I think Trump is using this public face to to stave off the deep state wolves for a second. You know what I mean? Stave right. off the greater uh, greater Israel allied congressman motherfucker warhawk people and he's taking out key positions here and there you've got people saying that uh there were foreign interests that owned the buildings that were actually taken out so in in the media they cover up all the time they say oh you know it was uh it was um it was an anti-venom they were making anti-venom it wasn't even a chemical attack i'm like in the middle of fucking syria in the middle of a desert there, there's whole entire factories and plants dedicated to making anti-venom. Kiss my fucking ass, dude. Most of that shit's imported all over, from all over the place from actual factories. So I'll get to the point. In the private, in the background, in the secretive intelligence channels, it would appear that some moves are being made against ISIS. There's some moves being made to counteract the pipelines that the deep state wants to go through Syria, this, which is what this stuff actually started about. Uh, the Skirpal Russian agent incident, it now turns out that that uh, thing, which we already knew and it was uh, leaked beforehand, that agent, nerve agent, was made in a UK lab. And then there's some people that have traced actual chemical weapons from the UK that were uh, that were seized in Gouda or Gouda, I believe, 
and never got a chance to be used. So I guess they had to pull something out of their ass and do a false flag attack. The deep state is very fond of mixing real and fake events together with crisis mm. actors and real victims and so on and so forth to add to the pot of confusion. So I'm I'm reserving judgment. On one hand, I'm like, Trump, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like, what the hell is going on here? You know, chemtrails haven't stopped, blah, 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 all this other things. The GMOs haven't been stopped, all these things that you see that are wrong. And then on the other hand, <clears throat> I see him working in the background with these military handlers to do what needs to be done. And we're just going to have to wait it out and see. I know that's kind of callous, but we're just going to have to wait it out and see. Because most of the stuff that you're being shown on mainstream media is total bullshit. They jumped on Assad and said, oh, he did it before there's even investigators on the ground. And now if you look in the mainstream media, they're they're pulling back a little bit, Corey. They're saying, oh, you know, the investigation has concluded that there was no chemical attack. There's no evidence of a chemical attack. There's no bodies admitted to hospitals. There's no chemical residue. There's no nothing at all. Right. Nothing. Not a single damn thing. And that lines up with what I'm being told from somebody that's on the ground in Syria that says these guys are desperate. These little proxy armies of the cabal are desperate as fuck. They're being taken out and surrounded left and right. <clears throat> and foreign elements are attempting to stage a, another coup, um, you know, as opportunistic as they are. So that's all I have to say about that, Corey. I appreciate your thoughts on it as well. Um, let's go ahead and switch gears into our show topic and bring on our guest. Love, thank you so much for waiting patiently. Um, our guest is a 50- cut out for a second there. A 53-year-old anthropologist and travel blogger and all-around badass who has been traveling for about a year now, I believe. Uh, she's coming up on her year anniversary. Uh, I think she started with just $1,000 in her pocket and a passion for life and a love for different cultures. And she went around uh, starting in Central America, and I'll just let her tell her story from there. Uh, we're going to get into a few different things about travel blogging, some of the things she experienced, some mishaps that happened, some of her many adventures. And also, uh, we're going to tie this into a little bit of talk about ayahuasca and healing plant medicine, because that's something that she got involved with down there as well. So without any further ado, I, I honor and thank you for coming on the show. Uh, love, welcome, and thank you very much. Thanks, Jordan. I'm so glad to hear from you. It's awesome to hear your voice again. Um, so I just wanted to say I've like, I have, um, you know, specialized in Latin American cultures in my, um, anthropology studies. So do you hear something? What the heck's going on here? Yeah. See, see, you're getting it too. I'm not the only one. Woo <laughs> That's not. Wait, wait, that could hang on us. Let me see if I could, if that's me. Okay. No. Yeah, just do your anything. best. We get random ghost noises all the time. The the producers in the studio do very good about trying to get those out from the start and engineer them yeah. out, but things just that's happen. Not, okay, that's not me. I don't know what it is. All right, so I just... <laughs> it's distracting, isn't it? Okay, how's that? That's perfect. We hear you fine. I, I know you're probably hearing some stuff that we can't hear because it happens to me all the time. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna block it out. I'm gonna block it out. <laughs> I, did you hear my intro, love? I gave you a, a, a pretty good yes. generalization. Okay, good. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify too that I specialize in Latin American studies and, um, and, and my anthropology degree, which even though I'm 53 years old, I've only had the agreed degree since 2011. Um, but so there's a lot of people who travel like I do 
Um, but I have a very unique experience because I, I am educated. Most of the people that I meet that are traveling in this manner are, are uneducated and are kind of learning and growing as they go. Well, I'm learning and growing as I go too, but I'm building on, you know, a lot of education and, and I'm really doing this mostly because I, um, I really have a passion for travel, um, adventure and, and I just want to share, share the love, share the love and, uh, Really, just kind of self-discover myself as I go, and and while I'm learning about the cultures, I'm I'm because I have dreadlocks. I find that I'm actually getting into a lot of like what they call the Rastafarian culture. I've been working like in like the what they call the ferias in Panama and Costa Rica. I was able to hook up with um, people who travel and and work in the, work in the fairs, and I've also um have have worked in like using um uh volunteer work at hostels doing uh, volunteer work working in gardens which is in how I ended up the ayahuasca farm and um I'm I'm just uh kind of just making it up as I go and following my heart and learning to trust myself learning to trust myself learning to trust myself that's been probably the most <laughs> difficult thing and and then just facing my own fears. I have a lot of fears. When I started to run out of money, um, which was a long time ago, um, I went through a lot of fears that I had to like really deal with and and um and I still I still come up with a lot of little victimizing ideas and, and scenarios in my head and and I just I'm learning to just be at peace and be calm and trust the universe, remind myself of all the times when I was afraid and all the stupid little stories that I had in my head of all the crazy things that were going to happen to me were completely ridiculous. <laughs> so I really find, like, I'm yeah, sorry, I was going to say, you find that you're responding a lot better once you've undergone and been put in that pressure cooker and you had to actually go through it instead of avoiding it. Do you find that you respond a lot better? Is it noticeable? I, I, I keep, you know, I think the most frightening thing and the most, the, the most difficult situation that I, that I deal with as I'm traveling is crossing through the borders, going through the land borders and, and oh, going yeah. through the whole situation of, of doing the passport. That, like, it doesn't matter who you are, what walk of life you're from, how right. much money you have, or what you're wearing, or what color your skin is. It always feels like you're in, like you're going through some kind of jailing process, some sort of victimizing process. And and that's that happens whether you're on a plane or walking across the border on land. Um, it, and I ask other people too, and they have to they feel the same way. It's just it's like I wish there was a way for it to be less less frightening, less victimizing. But yeah. but then I I know that that's an opportunity for me to look at my own fears and my own self and and learn to just trust and go with the flow. So, a, so you you ran. Oh, sorry. I apologize. I was just going to, I had a question. So you ran into a bunch of that stuff. How did that compare to the United States with the TSA and all the pat downs and taking off your shoes and shit like that? Was it, is it a whole different animal or is there that, that sick, nasty, authoritative feeling still? Um, well, I've been through, God, maybe seven or eight borders. And then I've gone through the border on Panama and Costa Rica many times and i actually got arrested well not arrested but detained. confiscated detained okay by the immigration people in panama because i was four days over my passport my passport limit i failed to do the to, to do the math accurately and i was guesstimating 
and I got pulled off of a bus. This was 32 days ago. <laughs> and, um, but I, I had hung out in Panama as long as I had because I had a doctor's appointment to get my final x-ray on my arm because I had broken my arm last October riding a bicycle in, in Panama. The handlebars broke off of it and I oh, wow. went, went head first into a concrete gutter and like completely snapped the bone in my, in my, um, lower right arm, left arm. Yikes. And, uh, so, but they didn't have any compassion. I think they get some sort of a, like a bonus payoff if they capture people that they told me there's nothing wrong with your arm. And I'm like, I got photos and documents. Like, you can't tell me that. And he goes, no, it looks fine to me. And I like, Oh, so you're a doctor as well as an immigration person. That's really interesting. <laughs> so let me, let me ask this. Uh, let's just do a quick general overview. So we both lived at the garden for a bit. Uh, when you started on your journey, that's how we know each other. Uh -huh. And you took off and can you just go through real quick, just name the countries in order that you've been to, uh, just like from start to finish, if you could just give our listeners an idea of how, how extensive this has been. Well, I started, I started with, um, a bus station in Dallas and, and then I did a couch surfing for, and a house sitting thing for like a long weekend in San Antonio. And that's when I met. This, this amazing guy I want to tell you about, because this guy really set my, my journey on a, an amazing course. And then I, I went through Mexico. I met a woman also in San Antonio who gave me a, drove me into Mexico. And I was oh. so nervous, so scared about going through that border. And she, and when we were in Mexico and she goes, so how do you feel now? And I go, what do you mean? And I, I'm still nervous. She goes, why? You're here. You're in Mexico now. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, we already went through the border. She goes, yeah. I told you it was easy. That was the easiest border that I went through. And it was in Laredo. I went through in, um, there yeah. in that area. That's, that was the easiest one. I did some research on which one was the best one. And then I went into Guatemala. Guatemala wasn't too bad. Uh, I got pickpocketed on the border of, uh, of El Salvador. What um, did they take? Um, they went, I was like, my money, because I was changing my money. Mm -hmm. And so the money changers actually gave me, I didn't really get pickpocketed. I got, you know, scammed. They, they shorted scammed, you. Scammed. That's you? it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I got on the bus, I was asking the other people and they're like, no, oh, they stole from you because they stole about $40 from me. And I was, and that was, that was upsetting because I was already getting freaked out because I was running out of money. Um, but I knew that was all part of my plan as part of my process. But in, I want to say San Salvador, I thought I was at the Galleria Mall. That I had, I thought El Salvador was going to be some ransacked, devastated country, and it's not. You'd be surprised. Uh, they do I, the same thing with. I could have been in, in North. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could have been in North. I could have been in North Dallas if I exactly. if I didn't know any better. Yeah, you see um, all these so pictures, love of all these like third world demolished country areas, and they're just showing you like these rural beat out. Like if you go to fucking Amarillo. Oh. Find some shit like that. <laughs> I, I tell you, all of the stuff that we hear about Latin America and the United States, 99% of it is just lies. Yeah. Okay, so then I went into Honduras, crossed the border there, no big deal. Crossed the border into um, uh, Nicaragua. The Nicaragua border was the worst for me because they they basically put you through a scanner like like you're at the airport, and they go through yeah. your stuff like you're at the airport. But once they, they they saw that I had metal in my backpack and started making me take my stuff out, when I showed them my chef knives, I said, look, this is my chef knives. This is what you're looking at. Then they're like, oh, okay, go on. 
And so then they let me go and I had to put so my they didn't freak out like CSA. <laughs> um, and then the border to go from Nicaragua to Costa Rica, um, th- that was, they were, I was being told that because I didn't have any cash on me or a big, a big volume of money in my bank account that they weren't going to let me in. And people were like saying, oh, they're not going to let you in. They're not going to let you in. And then when they just like, the guy just like stamp, gave me the stamp. I mean, I turned around and there was a room full of people with their mouths hanging open. Uh-huh. And I was like, I guess I just got the magic, you know? Nice. <laughs> okay. But then, so- like I said, the Panama, Panama, Costa Rica border has been a bitch back and forth. Yeah. I've been going back and forth. So that was the last one where you went four days over was the Panama, Costa Rica border. Yeah, when I've gone back and forth because of I tried to go back in after the immigration picked me up and I went to went to Costa Rica for a few days to, and then I was going to go back to Panama and they said, "No, you can't come back for 30 days." <laughs> and yeah. and then I'm like, "What? You didn't tell me that when you guys picked me up." So then I'm I'm at at our mutual friend's house here in Costa Rica. So he's been letting me stay here for a while, but I went to go yesterday and then I did, um, to get all of my things that were left there because I'm going to end up house, house sitting for him for a couple more months here. But I want to tell you, I mean, do you have more time to hear? No, of course. I've got plenty of time. I just kind of want to prompt here and there so we can get an orderly flow. You've got a lot of information to get out and I want to make sure that most of it gets out. So thank you for going down that little, it gives, it paints a picture for me. I can almost see you hopping from border to border. Uh, no, mm-hmm. did you take, did you take a bus, a train, hitchhike? How, what was your most popular or what did you find easiest? Most most of the time I take a bus, but sometimes I just stick my thumb out. Good. <laughs> I've actually I actually uh hitchhiked through about half of Mexico and and what I want to tell you is how that ended, how I started doing that because I'm mm-hmm. so proud of myself because I like really like conquered some fears and got to yeah. know some stuff. So when I was in San Antonio through, through Couchsurfing, that website, www.couchsurfing.com, it's a great place for travelers. Um, I met this guy, Caleb. He, he come, I meet him and he tells me about the, the Facebook page, Mochileros in Mexico, in, in Mexico. And he tells me, get on there. You, they are going to love you. So I did what he said. I got on there. I put my picture of myself with all my stuff leaving, <clears throat> leaving Dallas, ready to get on the bus, all of my backpack and everything, looking all excited and happy. I posted that picture and made my story in Spanish um, that I was backpacking and I was just now leaving. And then I go to bed. It's like midnight. I wake up the next morning and I've got over a thousand likes, <laughs> over over 150 comments. And I'm trying to like answer people's comments and there, and it's like while I'm, while I'm answering people's comments and, and, uh, making a little presence there, the, my, my computer is just going bing, 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 bing of all these people who are commenting to me. Half of them are inviting me to come to their house and they're saying, please come here. You, I will, you are invited to come here. We have the best food. I have the most beautiful city. The people were just pouring themselves out to me and telling me to come and be, come see their city. I want to host you. I want to show you around. It was all over Mexico. And I start trying to chart all these places. I finally give up on commenting on people because there's just too many. Uh-huh. And so when yeah. I, I 
I ended up going to Monterey, Mexico, which is where the guy Caleb, who, who told me about the website, told me, told me to go is that's the first big city in the, just south of Laredo, uh, Laredo in, in Mexico. And then there I hooked up with this one guy who messaged me. He said the exact same thing everybody says. Oh, I have great food. You can come visit. I'll help you. Or, you know, I have some experience with backpacking, blah, blah, blah. But when I saw his message, there was just like this gut feeling in my heart, in my spirit that tells me this is not just another one telling you to come. You need to go and follow this. So I messaged this guy and within a few hours, he's at the door of the hostel that I was staying at him and his boyfriend. And they're picking me up, carrying all my stuff all the way across Monterey. And I end up spending five nights with him. He tells me about the magical cities of Mexico. And then he ends up, him and his boyfriend, this guy's 19, his boyfriend is 22. So they're much younger than me. They're younger than my children. So I started traveling with them, with these guys. They're like, we're going to go with you. And I did my... We all three did our very first peyote trip out in the desert, like right off, right after that. And then they take me to the other side of Mexico City. I'm skimming over a bunch of things because we actually, we hitchhiked, we hitchhiked to the desert. We put our thumbs out for three minutes, maybe, maybe that long. And we all got a ride. And then, um, cause they told me they had experience always hitchhiking. So I was like, let's do it. I want to do this. So we did it. And then we, we ended up in the desert doing peyote and the most beautiful friggin' village in the whole world. Oh my God. It was one of my first vlogs or is all about this village or write about my peyote trip in there. And then just kind of skimming over some other things. They take me to the south of Mexico City. Um, and I do this thing called a Temezcal ritual and it yeah. includes a chocolate. A chocolate ceremony, and it's um like they they start the day with cleaning the earth, and they build this this uh, sauna and put a hole in the middle of it where they put the fire. I mean, and just to kind of briefly go over it, it's it's an ancient um, Mexican uh, Mixteca ritual that's been around for thousands of years, and it was like an amazing experience. I got some beautiful photos and a great blog written about that, and um, but. Soon after, soon after that, the guys and I, we went to Teotihuacan and one of my, one of, one of my dreams and one of my things that I was doing, you know, Jordan, I used to weigh well over 250 pounds. And when I was in the process of literally working my ass off, I, I thought to myself, you know what? Now I could actually dream of climbing to the top of, of the pyramid of the sun because my ass ain't so damn big now and I'm stronger and I did it. And I've got some amazing, beautiful photos of myself and, and the top of that, that pyramid. So that was one of my things. The next thing I'm going to do is Machu Picchu. That's the next one. I'm going to go to the top of that, but uh, I haven't got there. I haven't got there yet. But, so let uh, me just jump in real quick. If I could, this is a lot of great uh, stuff. I'm, I'm really excited for you and I'm, I'm very glad that you're getting to live your journey because I think this is something that everybody should have an opportunity to do not only just travel, but live their life and do the things that they were scared of before, maybe the things that they thought they'd never get to. So congratulations and kudos to you for doing that. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, the when you mentioned the, it's sort of like a sweat, like a Native American sweat lodge ceremony is what it sounds like, the te, te mm-hmm. something, combined with perhaps cacao ceremony, is it, is it sort uh-huh. of 
It's that's okay. That's what you're describing. All right. Where they dig yeah. a hole and they build a fire and it gets real hot and they do all this. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I didn't want to tell you too much because I want you to go to my blog. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and which, by the way, uh, you will be able to plug that at the end of the show here. We want everybody to know what you've been doing and see for themselves. So, okay. So you climbed to, uh, I, the, the I spent about three months in Mexico. I went, yeah, uh, I went to, I went to Huala de Jimenez, where Maria Sabina is from, and she's the woman who did, they did the article in Life magazine back in the 60s, who exploded the whole world with the, the knowledge of the psychedelic mushrooms. Yep. There's yep, like yep. five different kinds of psychedelic mushrooms that grow there. Um, I, I, um, traveled into a lot of really beautiful villages that are in the south, south jungly area of Mexico. I highly recommend all of those. The, the magical cities is what, what um Ezekiel, my friends in uh, Monterey, the guys that I hooked up with that taught me how to taught me how to hitchhike. Well, after I broke off with them, I started hitchhiking by myself. And I think it took me no more than between three and thirty minutes to get a ride. And and I hitching I'm hitchhiking here in Costa Rica and Panama. I I mean I barely even stick my thumb out the other day and some eighteen wheeler pulls over, gives me a ride down the road. I mean, it just, it don't take me any time at all. And I usually tell them like, Hey, I'm writing a blog. Can I take your photo? You know, <laughs> so I can kind of have like a, like, you know, some photos of who I'm driving and then like tell them how great everybody in Latin America is. And they're, so yeah. it kind of, I feel like it kind of keeps me safe by saying those things. But, um, but then I went into, I lived with the Maya people in the, the Maya world, so just surrounded by the Maya culture and the, the women that you, that you see in the beautiful photos who are dressed in those beautiful garments that you see from, from Guatemala with all the beautiful fabric. So I was immersed in that for, for a couple of weeks. And then I just, I, I was, that's when I was start, I was running out of money and, and then I was like reassessing. Ooh, well, I gotta have to reshift my thinking here. And I, and I actually literally got physically ill for a week, probably from the stress of it when I was in Costa Rica. Unfortunately, I have a friend in Costa Rica that owns a hostel in the, in San Jose. And she, um, she let me stay in her house and they took care of me while I kind of got my, got my shit together in my head, psyched myself up and got on the road. And, and I find like all that stress and all that worry that I have is ridiculous. It always just flows. Something always happens. Somebody buys a tarot reading from me. They buy some jewelry from me or they just give me a gift because, because they want to support what I'm doing or they just buy me a ticket on the plane or they just give me a ride to where I'm going. It, or, you know, and people, I almost never buy food. People are always buying me food yeah. um, and taking and helping me out, supporting me that way. Um, that's another thing. So love. A, a lot of people think that, you know, we have the best infrastructure here in the United States and support and yada, yada, yada. But the disconnect between neighboring families and communities is so great that you won't find people growing their own food. You won't find food just growing wildly on the side of the road like you do, you know, fruits everywhere. If you had to get mm-hmm. to a survival situation here in the United States, you would be dis, you know, dis, discouraged because You'd be tossed to the curb and nobody would help you. Nobody gives a fuck. Once you reach a certain lower level of societal status, everybody just throws you away like trash. And it would appear that even though the United States media and socio engineering has been attempting to convince us that everywhere else in the world is crap, all the crap is really here in the United States. And if you go to these countries, what you're really going to find, it sounds like, uh, for the most part, of course, they have their problems. But what you find for the most part is a connection between the people a compassion, a, a general 
passion for life and nobody's they're not all robots going around doing fucking robotic things to acquire wealth they're interacting with people you know it seems like there's a huge psychedelic culture throughout these countries as well you've mentioned many different times where you ran across you know like san pedro or five different types of mushrooms in these sacred cities so it sounds like yeah you know, every, everything that we're wanting for an ideal world but we're told is not the way the world is 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 pretty much entrenched in the cultures in the indigenous cultures you will find all the building blocks for the loving compassionate carefree life that we all are striving for secretly. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I got so many stories. I mean, I could tell you. I'll tell you one real quick if you sure, want to hear sure, one. Of course. There yeah. was like, it was it was like about a month ago when I, actually I got kicked out of and Panama. Said I couldn't come back in, and I was like, I didn't have any money or anything. I was able to get a a, a bus ticket, and I had no food and no money, and I was actually really hungry. I was on the bus, and the bus stops to to get lunch at one point because they're, it's taking like a like an eight hour trip so i go in the bathroom and i, and I remember thinking man what am i going to do about some food because i am really hungry and i could just hear this little voice in my back of my head saying don't worry we got you you're covered you're going to eat don't worry about it it's going to happen and i go out of the i walk out of the bathroom and the first thing I see, I look up and there's this guy running toward me with his arms spread open wide, comes up and grabs me and swings me around. He was like, oh my God, I thought that was you that I saw going in the bathroom. It was a guy that I met in Mexico City who was also traveling. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he was he was like more than happy to, like he opened up his wallet and handed me a, a a, a 5,000 mil bill, which is a fi which is like equivalent to $10 and just handed it to me. I went and bought myself some food and gave him the change. And he was like, no, don't give me the change. You keep it. And it was like, like magic. <laughs> but I have a million stories like that where people have done that kind of thing. Well, uh, that's the thing. That's um, the thing is most people don't take the plunge because of the fear, the uncertainty, the doubts. And when they do take the plunge, they encounter the fear and uncertainty and doubts. And when they make the actual decision to go, no, this is what I want for my life. I, I'm not going to be scared anymore. I'm just going to do it. And they experience it. That's They're like locking into alignment with their life path, which you have done. And when you lock into alignment with what you're supposed to be doing in life, you see all these synchronicities start popping up and the universe starts filling in all the gaps and things like that. So I think that's a wonderful story. It's very inspiring, and I think you deserve everything that's coming to you and, and more to come. I know you have a lot to talk about, and we can go a little bit uh, longer if, if we need to, but I wanted to get Corey's input and maybe have him ask you a few questions, love, and see what he thinks about all the stories so far, and we'll just go from there, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. That sounds Corey, great. You... I'd love to hear what he... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, you, your enthusiasm is contagious, so... It's like it's no wonder that you've had all of these uh great experiences and and yeah there's something really to be said about uh confronting one's fears and passing through them there's there's i find that and certainly what you're describing is an example of it that like um like you get juice you know it's like you get a pass uh, you confront your fear and it's like this release of stress or something, or, or uh, it's like a portal. And then you pass through, and then you get rewarded, right? Because yeah, the fear, the fear seems the fear is just within us, right? 
So once we pass through the fear. Yeah, it's it's always like stuff I'm just imagining in my mind. Right, <laughs> right. And then like you get rewarded for for passing through that and actually dealing with reality. Right, and and it's almost like people can see from the from what you're describing, and I've experienced it myself. They can it's feel like it coming people, off of her. Yeah, people just respond to it, you know. And there's something about <clears throat> there's something about courage, you know, the the courage for uh, well, the courage to overcome our own fears. Well, it takes love. It takes a genuine love uh, to be, actually be courageous, right? To go to yeah, to deal deal with your own resistance and deal yeah, with your own fear. They're like that's well, the reward. That's a reward for courage. You know, when I'm ex- like, I'm love. experiencing for the first time for the first time in my life, I'm experiencing people telling me on a near daily basis that I'm beautiful. It's been a little interesting to kind of get used to that. <laughs> yeah, people, they, there's just this. I mean, it happens in uh, men and women dynamics all the time. Oh, p- people wonder, oh, why am I so bad at talking to women? How come I never get dates? How come I blah blah blah? And maybe vice versa. Typically, it's the man thinking that. But when the guy actually stops seeking and he's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm not thirsty anymore. You know, he he starts developing himself and coming into alignment, just like we spoke about your journey. You'll find that the women are just like he could be a fat, balding guy. And as long as he can talk to them with confidence in himself, you find a lot of people start being attracted to him, not just physically. You know, people start coming into that person's life. So even though it shouldn't be happening on a on a shallow subtext level, people will actually be attracted to your success for whatever reason. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm jealous and I want to hear more about it or oh, good for you. I just want to live vicariously through you or they genuinely just love you and feel the love coming off of you from, you know, sometimes rooms uh, cities away. You know, like you said, you met up with this guy that you had previously been with in Mexico City, and then magically all of a sudden, kaboom, here he is when you're hungry <laughs> with the money you needed. So I really do in think... Coast, yeah, really, in Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are the chances? Other than the fact that you've built some sort of lasting connection with these people, and the people that you've yet to meet, they don't know you have the connection yet, but they feel you somehow, they feel something different, and when you get into their presence they will be attracted to you and, and good things will happen. So I, I really like your what you're doing. I like your story. Uh, is there anything else? And Corey, we'll get back to you for some more yeah, questions yeah. and thoughts. But, oh, you want to hear about the ayahuasca? Yeah, we're going to get into that in just a second. But is there anything else that came up for you while you were traveling real quick? Um, did you have any useful gear or something you used more than something else? Something you thought might oh. be cool, but it didn't? get used yeah actually you know i think probably i think that probably the number one smartest thing that i decided to bring was one of those little uh battery chargers the um, that i can hook my um my phone into or my bluetooth speaker into uh, while i'm on the bus for many hours and yeah but i find that it doesn't really the solar charger on the one i have i probably should have i would invest if i had it to do it again invest in a more expensive one that actually worked really well the one that i have i only see it charging when i'm when i plug it into the actual wall socket but i when it's fully charged it will recharge my telephone like three to four times okay okay cool. so that's been really really useful i'm really i really love that thing i have a series of blogs that i put together um 
right after I left, um, giving, telling exactly what it is that I'm bringing. I have photos uh, of everything. And, okay. and now I'm about to do another series of blogs to follow up with like some reviews and, and how, what I think about what I brought now. So I'm, I'm about to like post those now for a one year anniversary situation. Well, cool. Uh, so you've got all those details somewhere else. I won't keep rehashing those or asking about them. Then yes, let's go into, um, so I guess you started running out of money. Uh, you had some serendipitous events happen. You ended up somewhere in Costa Rica when you started working on the ayahuasca farm or, or how did that come about? If you could tell us. Well, I was, um, actually the ayahuasca farm is in Panama. So ah. I, when I was traveling in Panama, um, in 2013, I met a man there who is from Los Angeles. He's a chiropractor. He's retired. And, uh, that guy and I, we had an instant connection, been really good friends. Um, we've talked to each other the whole time since I was back in the United States. And then we were really excited to, to get together again. And so through him, I found, um, Rodrigo, the, who owns the, the Aces farm. Well, my, my friend that I had met before, Bruce, Bruce actually does bi-weekly uh, ayahuasca journeys in his home and he's been doing it for years there in Panama so you can come there and you've got supervised uh, skilled knowledgeable people there to do uh, these ayahuasca journeys with and and but the person who he resources gets his ayahuasca from is the only licensed um person to grow and use and distribute ayahuasca in the whole country of Panama. And he's been wow. doing it for like 20 years. So wow. I hooked up with, I hooked up with this guy. Um, and I went there to work on, on his farm. And, um, and he, the first day he was there, he goes, I'm going to teach you everything. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when you say, I, when, when you, when you're going to work, can you maybe, I'm real interested in like the whole process. I know there's a thousand different ways to extract and brew and all sorts of different vines and grasses and tree barks and things that you can put together in any number of different combinations to arrive at some result. But I'm yeah. sure they've, they've whittled it down to some really efficient, really strong process. Is there anything you can give away without, you know, like uh, giving away his secrets? Can you tell us what exactly were you involved in? What did you have your hands on? If you could tell well, us. I had my hands. I, I learned how to propagate the plant, how to transplant the plant, how, to, how it grows. Um, I actually took a, a class at the university when I was studying anthropology about ayahuasca and the plant. So I, there I learned about the molecules that are actually at work there. But at the farm, I learned how to transplant it. Um, and the day of the, of the ceremony, cause Rodrigo also hosts quite a few different ceremonies and he has guest shamans that come from all over the world that do, do also kind of ceremonies there. Sometimes they bring their own stuff and sometimes we make the brew, but, uh, we would get up early in the morning when the sun was still not, not too high and, um, and go out there for an hour. You pick all the leaves off the plants um, there's two different plants that you have to have for ayahuasca. There's the vine and there's, they're both different. They're both vines. One's called a, a cappy vine, C-A-A-P-I, a cappy. And it goes into, you know, those machines that you, you put to uh, cut down tree branches in to chew them up. A chipper. They have, he's got one of, yeah, like a, a chipper. Uh, 
well, he has one of those. He has his own, and he puts a uh, the heavy the heavy cappy vine in there, and it chips it all up and turns it in actually turns it into powder. Mm-hmm. And so you take the take the leaves from from that from um I I can't remember the name of the other vine. Is it? It'll be in my blog. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a blog about it. It'll be in my blog. Okay, okay cool. Yeah, they'll they'll find it. <laughs> so so um, but you you take the leaves and you he has a pot. What pot is like a cauldron or probably, something? It's probably like a ten gallon stainless steel pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you so you line the bottom of it, and I got photos of all of this. It's gonna be all go in the blog. You line the bottom of it with the leaves, and then you pour a layer of powder cappy on top of it, and then you do another layer of leaves, and then the ca- cappy leaves and cappy until the thing's all the way full to the top. And then he pours water over the whole thing, and then puts it on the stove, and then he cooks it for an hour. Um, and then they and then and then you basically use like a uh, you know like a garlic press you know those garlic presses he has like a yes. giant one a giant one of those <laughs> and so i i mean and there's i, I sat there for uh, several hours squeezing that thing it was good exercise for breaking in my new broken arm you know as it was healing so i you squeeze all the juice out of it and i there was i think that was yeah i'm pretty sure that was it then after that wow. you you got your your ayahuasca because I didn't finish it. I remember some other guy came in and finished it. I did probably the first half of it, and then he did the other half because it's a lot, and that probably made a couple of couple of liters of it, and and then um, so that's that's the brew, and then you have your ceremonies. Well, I talked to a lot of people who've been using ayahuasca on a regular basis for many years. Like Rodrigo himself, he's been doing and using ayahuasca for. I think he said 30 years. Is he microdosing or is he just doing ceremonies when he feels called to, like a full strength? Ceremonies. I think he'll do microdosing if he feels like he needs to for whatever reason. Um, there was actually a guy who was coming off of antidepressants that was staying at the, staying there for a little while and he, he was, um, giving that guy microdosing to kind of, to help him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Work on all of that. Because so ibogaine, the aboga plant in Africa, is similar to ayahuasca, but it's being used to cure opiate addictions, and it actually cures the physical withdrawal yeah. symptoms. So I'm sure that Aya has something similar with regards yeah. to pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it could be that those are like sister plants or something, just growing on a different continent. Right. Um, the, so, but the, I have found that just from interviewing and talking to people, that there's a lot of culture wrapped around ayahuasca that you don't really um that's that's very separate from from a peyote or a mushroom culture uh ayahuasca it actually comes from the jungles of brazil and then it's and then it's it's knowledge and the plants are spreading around so it's becoming more wide wide widely used and um, rodrigo gives me a really cool story i've got some some live interviews with uh recorded interviews with him that'll be in the blogs and he tells a story about how he smuggled his first four plants from from Brazil to to uh, Panama, and then how 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 he like went through so many cycles, almost losing all his plants, and then now he's got like a really big field and and a nice greenhouse uh, full of them that are always going. So it took him a while to get it established, but he he wasn't going to give up. I was I'm impressed with his persistence. Um, but there is. There is what in Brazil, there is a cult, uh, a group called the Santo Diami, uh, ceremony. You know, in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. They don't speak Spanish. Right. Yeah. And 
And they actually have hymnal books that remind me of my Baptist church that I went to in the sticks of Louisiana. And it was like very, very similar, but it was all in Portuguese. I don't know what the words were. I don't know what they were saying because I don't speak Portuguese, but they were, but it has, has like a really cool, like tribal, I don't know, like a, like a tribal ceremonial sound, lots of rattles and stuff, but then it also sounds very kind of Christian mixed together. So yeah, there's a lot of yeah. Catholic influence over there with the Portuguese came Catholic influence and stuff. So yeah. And again, I'll put some of that in the blog so people can experience what that is. But, but then people like Bruce, they have people lying down, you know, on mats and they're doing more of, um, you know, a, a self, self, um, directed journey within, um, and then I've oh, heard, wow. Yeah. So there, there, but then there's also, you know, healing centers, wellness centers that you can go to both in Costa Rica and in Panama that I'm aware of. I'm sure that they're, they have them. I've been hearing about them in Colombia. As a matter of fact, I've, you know, talked to Colombians at, uh, that were visiting at Rodrigo's place and have told me their stories of how they've, you know, done, you know, worked at and, and been a part of many different farms in Colombia and Brazil. I've met other Brazilians that are also telling me similar stories. There's many, many different walks of, of passive lives because you have all these different tribal peoples, all these different evolutions of Christianity penetrating into it. So you get a lot of different varieties of, of different types of practices of using the ayahuasca i i actually got in there and did the santo diami ceremony to but he didn't start till like 11 o'clock at night and i was i was i had already taken some ayahuasca and it wasn't really enough and i was literally falling asleep in my chair the music was so soothing and so <laughs> relaxing and the ayahuasca that i had taken was really making me sleepy so i was actually just kind of falling asleep and i, I didn't even finish the ceremony because i was falling out of my chair did and, you get and then i did, did you one get over, an opportunity go ahead i'm sorry i was i did one over bruce's too and um i had the there was some other complications i don't want to go into the details of that but i actually didn't really get enough to get a really deep practice yet then either but i know it's in the cards. It's in, it's in my future. I still haven't had like a really good, deep, um, experience. But I it's don't know. Happen. What about, it's what about the time that I did the shaman, uh, well, I was your shaman and we did the DMT, uh, ceremony. That would seem pretty fucking <laughs> epic. Oh my God, Jordan. I've Remember told, that? I've told so many people about, I told so many people that crazy story and I was like, well, I guess it's the same, the same voice that wouldn't let me through that day is still not letting me through yet. Because it's think? still saying okay. I'm not ready. <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask you. Is you well, you that's what people say. Don't worry, love. Everybody has the experience they're supposed to have. You're just you're you're just not there yet. And they they also told me that too. Sometimes people do it two, three, four times. Oh, actually, sorry. not sometimes. Often people do it two or three, four times before you know the spirits will actually let them in and they'll actually have like you know that's the right. kind of kind of experience that that, that we're looking for. It's the same thing with DMT. A lot of people don't break through, and there's a big source of frustration, and there's all sorts of people oh, tell you, oh, this is how well, you that's, do it. That's what, Jordan, that's what the CAPI is. The CAPI, the C-A-A-P-I that I'm telling you about, that is the actual source of the DMT. Nice. You have to, you have to mix that with uh, the, uh, the ayahuasca, what's, what they call the plant leaves. Um, to, to get the, the full ayahuasca benefit. You have you know, to turn off the, it's not dopamine receptors, it's something else. Yeah. You have to turn off some, there's a, it's a, it's a part and a counterpart. You've got the DMT psychedelic part and you have the other part 
that has to turn off your something receptor right. in order for well, right, you right. Know the, yeah. The, I think the, the DMT, uh, the DMT only the, lasts for like fifteen or twenty minutes, but when you add the ayahuasca leaves and it drags it out, or not drags it out, it smooths it out. It gives you a much right. more elongated, more in-depth experience over like between four to six hours. So let's hop over yeah. to Corey, and then I want to get some more details. Mm-hmm. I've got some questions for you too, and I'm sure he's brimming with questions. Uh, Corey, let's let's hear your thoughts on this. Thank you, yeah, Lou, for I that, think- by the way. I think the uh I think the ayahuasca is the source of the DNT, but the other additive, which is as you mentioned, doing there's a variety, I think. Um, I think the they take the bark of the ayahuasca vine, at least at least in the, the work that I've done, the people who I've worked this with. This is in the jungle. This is in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. South yeah. yeah. You're, you're making they, the same you're making the same mistake that a lot of people do. It's the actual green leaf vine that that is more associated with the word ayahuasca, but the cappy is definitely where the DMT comes from. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I promise well, maybe you. The, maybe the either, maybe the maybe it's the ayahuasca that has the uh Yes. Uh, yeah. Monoamine, monoamine uptake inhibitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah the, if, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's right? it. Okay. That's it. And that, that allows your brain, that allows your brain to actually, uh, not resist the DMT on a, on a, on a chemical level. What happens right? is yeah. it, it doesn't allow your, your stomach to pro, the acids, it doesn't let the acids and the right. things down there to process okay. out the psych. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, Rodrigo gave me some some sort of other like little homemade capsules of some. I don't know what it was. I should have I, I wrote I did write it down in my notes somewhere, but uh, a couple of other little things. And he said it prepares your stomach to be more receiving of of the of the um, of the ayahuasca. When it's you get sim- it. it's similar to where oh, you soak. A, you soak a better, your better journey. Exactly. You soak your mushrooms, like a, uh, psychedelic mushrooms. If you soak them in lemon juice and right. add chocolate right. or cacao, it does the same thing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And thank you for that. Cause I had a great journey from your tip on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, let's well, get back was... to Corey real quick, love. I, I want to, I think he's got some questions. He just, he likes okay. to formulate and set everything up nicely. So let's, I want to give him a shot to talk here on the, on the show. And I'm, I'm super excited and inspired about this too, but. Um, let's, yeah. we, we've got plenty of time. We're not going to, you know, we can go over a little bit unless the producers tell me otherwise, but let's get to yeah. Corey. We'll get back to love and talk about that. And then we'll get you to plug your blogs from there. You don't. Yeah, actually, I think the ayahuasca is the name of the mixture. Yes. Right? It's, it's called a brew. It's the, na- it's the name of the brew. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's it. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, when you, <clears throat> In, in terms of um, how some people are not affected, right, on their first, maybe, or second uh, uh, intake, you know, there's something about expectation, too, you know. Like, we we sometimes, if we don't know about it, if we don't really know about the experience, we'll have an expectation of what's supposed to happen. And um, I've done it a few times, and uh, it varies. It varies depending on, uh, in my experience, the, the scene, mm-hmm. the people, the location, the time of the year, what I'm going through personally. And, and one thing I've noticed for certain is that I can tell when there's like behind the scenes work, if you will, going on. Right. So 
<clears throat> I've had experiences that weren't necessarily like visually psychedelic or, you know, incredibly insightful or, you know, meeting, meeting of entities and spirits and all those, all those things happen. But sometimes <clears throat> I felt that it's like surgery going on in my energy body. And like, that's the only thing that's going on, right? No visuals, wow. right? No visuals, no, you know, no trippy sense, you know, really trippy sensations, but just really yeah. sort of a, a deep, restful, and just I had this feeling uh, of stuff being rearranged in my energy body, sort of below my conscious awareness. Yes, so, yes, It looks exactly. all different ways. looks all different ways. It really depends on a lot of different, a lot of different things. And who knows, and you never really know. You never really know. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Actually, I have friends who are down in Ecuador right now. Actually, um, I opted not to go this time. Um, but I would, I would also imagine that being in the jungle probably has some major, oh, such major, a major effect. effect. Yeah, you know, on versus, uh, you know, outside of the jungle, even regardless of of who's uh, who's presiding over the ceremony and what have you. That actually brings something interesting up, Corey. If I could jump, I just want to ask Love this real quick, and then please continue. But uh, I've I have a lot of people in this community. I'm sure you know a lot of people too. Obviously, Love that have done ayahuasca. Um, I, myself, I have not tried the actual brewed version. I've tried the powdered form, which I think was basically just DMT. And somebody said it was Iowa, but that's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> regardless, that's what it is. <laughs> that could happen. But, but what I have heard described is that in these ceremonies that are in the jungle, like Corey talked about, the jungle has a huge, huge effect. They describe actual animals, like the shaman and everybody else sees these uh, jaguars. So the jaguars are tripping on DMT, too, because they eat it naturally. They eat a combination of plants, which, and of course, they don't have all the MRI issues as well. Uh, I think I'm saying the MRI. Sorry, that's a that's a medical procedure or a screening procedure. <laughs> what is it? Uh, MSRI or some MAOI. Thank you. Finally, we get it. There you go. So they don't that's have it. that problem. They can just eat it naturally, and it affects them. And so throughout history... And even in the Maya, you talked about staying with Mayan cultures in Guatemala. I'm sure you saw a lot of jaguar uh, relics and artifacts and paintings. And the reason for that is because in the psychedelic experience, experience in the jungle, the jaguar is always present in the ayahuasca dream. For anybody who's got their eyes open and they're looking, they will always see a jaguar because it's thought that those animals are constantly in that dimension as well because they eat those plants as a regular part of their diet. So uh, what I've seen is that a lot of people are being led through the jungle safely and back to the group on ayahuasca. Full-blown trip, totally gone, having an adventure, walking basically naked and barefoot sometimes through the, the jungle of these places. And then they get led all the way back to the campsite where the group is at the end of the trip. Perfect timing. Their trip's coming down. They're cognizant again. And now they're back with the group. And they say that an animal spirit led them, and most of the time it's a jaguar. So have you heard anything about animals mixed with ayahuasca or anything at all that you could talk about based on what I just said? Actually, uh, the only time I've heard of that was from my professor in the anthropology class that I was telling you about. None of the people that I talked to said anything about a, a jaguar. 
So it seems to be a very, know. very popular experience. I've talked to many people who have gone down in, into the jungle uh, from the U.S. and they've had this, of course, spiritual awakening on the Aya ceremony. But they they well, talked about walking off into the woods and actually coming back well, with scratches all over them. So they know they walked out there, but they were led well, the, air and back by the jaguar. Okay, so I'm going to ask people now that you've mentioned this. I'm going to I'm going to do some asking because I know I know people now to mm-hmm. to see if they've they've had any of these experiences like uh, people that i've been talking to have been doing ayahuasca like regularly for 12 15 20 years so you know how the shaman can participate in the in the various participants like the shaman is supposed to be able on some level and sometimes they're supposed to be able to see what the other people are going through and manage help guide them if you will so you know about that mm-hmm. the, the animals yeah yeah and that too yeah, I actually experienced a, a shaman coming coming in and, and assisting me when I had a, had a, I'm not going to say a bad experience, but right. a, a, a freaking fucking intense ex, experience um, <laughs> when I did some really heavy mushrooms up in uh, Panama one night and I went to like a really intense place and I was just laying there like, oh my God, I need some help. I need some help. And then the, the shaman just showed up there in the door and I was just like. Whoa! <laughs> Perfect, and yeah, and he was there to help me and guide me. Yeah, so they they are very that's that's their training. That's that that's what they do, and I'm so grateful for them. Excellent. Now I, I took I took you guys off the rails a little bit here. I think um, we have plenty of time. You'll get to any other stories that you want. But Corey, was there any particular questions uh, that you wanted to ask Love about her experience or anything you wanted to bring up at all? And then we'll get back to her. How's your Spanish? How was my Spanish? Yeah. Oh, um. Well, my Spanish is getting better all the time. I didn't actually start learning Spanish until I was like forty-five years old. Mm-hmm. I'd only spoken English all my life, so I have like a lot of brain molecules wired to ignore Spanish. So I'm just now getting to where I can I can start to understand people. Um, but it was. Okay, because I studied Spanish. I have a minor in Spanish at the university, so I can actually give a lecture in Spanish, write in Spanish, read in Spanish. But when it comes, and I can, I can express myself. Muscle men is pretty, pretty good. Right. Um, but, but but processing. But it when it comes, when it comes to listening to listening to people, that's been like a, a huge challenge for me. But I'm I'm getting better at it. I see. I I can have. I'm having more and more conversations with people who don't speak English. I have friendships now with people who don't speak English. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's real. That's real time, where the rubber meets the road. Did you did you have Spanish under your belt before you started uh, venturing down into uh, Spanish speaking area at all, or did that come uh, well, well, along, actually, along the way? Well, the, actually, the first time I traveled into Latin America was I went with a. Um, a group from the university. I went to the University of Mexico of, uh, of the University of Costa Rica, and I took some summer Spanish classes there. So that's when I got my travel bug and really started wanting to, having a passion for traveling. Is I I came to the University of Mexico. I spent a month living with a local family that didn't speak any English, and made made like little trips all around Costa Rica and started meeting people who didn't speak English and it was. It was starting to to like grasp the culture. Just fell in love with the jungle, and and then I like I went home and I changed my changed changed my degree plan to include a minor in Spanish because before that it didn't 
because I wanted, mm. I wanted to come back and I wanted to do more. So I actually came back and did two semesters the following summer and stayed, stayed for the whole summer. And then I've just been traveling back and forth to this area since then. I've probably, I've probably entered into Costa Rica maybe seven times now. And nice. Panama maybe five times. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm <clears throat> like a, if you make the effort, you know, if you make some kind of rudimentary effort, right, to meet people generally, <clears throat> some, some cultures are a little more strict than others. Like the French are pretty critical, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but I, you know, in my experience with my limited Spanish, I've, I found that people, they, they listen to your intention. And they're not so focused on whether you can speak the language or not. Yeah, they hear the voice tone and they look at the body language. Right, right. So again, yeah. it goes, it goes, it goes along with, uh, it goes along with that, um, I, that I have found that most people are pretty compassionate and are very patient with, yeah. with my, my, my Spanish. Um, but there has been like some, some people that I think they just have some really low self self-esteem or something and then they think it's funny to laugh at the lady who can't speak that great of spanish or they don't even try i can tell when somebody speaks like a like a eubonic style uh spanish i can't understand a damn thing they say and they don't even try to understand anything i say all the, the little person, cuss words and things that they have their own yeah. tiny words for and yeah. stuff like that right yeah. right the dialects and the and the and the and the, and the slang and, the, and the, yeah yeah, so what was your biggest like, communication issue, love? I, I just wanted, that brings up something for me. Like, what was the hardest thing, like the, the most fucked up thing that happened to you because of communication and how did you overcome it? Oh, God. I know a lot of stuff's happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I haven't had too, too much trouble. There was, there was one time where the bus driver didn't stop where I told him to stop, even though I felt like we were clear as to where it was I wanted to get off. Exactly and, the um, type of stuff I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, little but passive the, the aggressive main, shit. But the but the but the main thing is in is in Panama. When I was in when I'm in Panama, I find that the little like local buses they have like people who speak like the most shitty friggin' Spanish. That's the Ubonic Spanish, and they like I try to tell them where I want to get off at, and they just like shrug their shoulders at me like. Like they don't like I don't understand you. Or, but the person sitting no, next to me who doesn't speak English either actually tells them what I'm trying to say because yeah. they understand me. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 the, yeah, the, that's, yeah. The people all sitting around me understand, but the stupid guy who works the door on the bus, he's he can't speak Spanish correctly himself. So what were I have you saying? Yeah, oh, I sorry, speak, I heard Corey. Corey oh no, that's the first that's the uh, that's the ubiquitous passive aggressive uh, power play of. You know, people in, in minor roles of authority, like bus drivers. Hey, and let's be honest, yeah. the, US, the U.S. fucks so many countries economically in so many different fucking ways, like John right. Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I mean, we right. deserve a little bit as gringos. It helps us be on our toes. I don't say that you deserve yeah. all of that, you know, shrugging the shoulders and not helping you stuff, but it's to be well, expected in some areas. Well, oh, you yeah, want to hear absolutely. about racism? Yeah, yeah, let's see. What, what is that like down there compared to the engineered racism here in the United States where they're constantly manufacturing outrage? What, what well, is the I'll, natural point? I'll start there? off telling you about a little experience I had the day before yesterday when I was at a bus station and I met this guy from India 
he got pissed off at me, first of all, because I started speaking Spanish to him because I just assumed he was, you know, a Latin person because he, you know, looked very similar to the Latin people. He, go, he starts saying, you can speak English to me. I am not from, I am not a Costa Rican. I am from India. <laughs> and then he starts telling me about all his horrible experiences that he had while he was riding on the bus and how they were all like so racist to him and how he couldn't get through the borders because everybody's racist and all the problems that he's had. And it's all because everybody's racist. He basically was described this in Costa Rica? almost. Ex- was, was this in it's Costa on the border Rica? of Panama, Costa Rica. Yeah, but we're oh, okay. actually in Costa Rica. But he's having basically the exact same, sp- same problems, basically, that I'm having. With a but, different result. But, but but with a completely different result, right. And then I'm like, he, he's, he's saying, oh, they're treating me this. But I'm thinking that they're treating him this way because they think he's Latin. And then they don't like him because he's Indian. And and I, I think that I do see that dark-skinned men that are younger, because he was probably around 30-ish, um, that are much younger than me, I see that they get kicked around and treated really badly. I see there's a lot of people from Venezuela because Venezuela is having a huge amount of um, oh, of, of <laughs> political problems. So there's a lot of Venezuelans and they, they've kind of gotten like a crappy attitude toward Venezuelan people, treating them badly. Uh, mm. Colombian people, I see they get treated a little badly too, but they're, um, but they're, but I see the people that were the darker skin, the darker hair, um, they they definitely have a little bit more of a challenge. And then when I go to the border as a, as a white lady, I I get treated like I should have like a ton of money. Um, mm, I notice that I feel like it's yeah. it's kind of not quite as bad as I've experienced before because now I have the dreadlocks, so it looks like maybe I don't have any money. Because I have the dreadlocks. <laughs> I think funny. actually, you, know, you you say that and as a joke, but I think honestly, the the safety concerns that you would normally run into hitchhiking in another country, or like you said, going through the borders where it's you know it's it's these guys that are just working a job, uh, these agents or whatever, and all they they're just looking for how can I get extra dollars in my pocket by hook or by right. crook or by whatever. How do I you know bribes whatever? How do I get this money? And and for them to do that, they have to make snap instant judgments and decisions about people walking through their area. And the the dreads that you have is one of those snap instant uh, first impressions mm-hmm. that just turns them off from you being hassled or fucked with or but, but, any of that. But then or I'm rich, obviously or, a or white wealthy. lady, a, a form. Yeah, but I'm a white lady and I'm in my early fifties. So, and in the dreadlocks, so it's kind of a confusion. They're not really sure. I think a lot, a lot of the times how, how to address me or what to expect from me. I'm kind of a novelty. I see people looking at me and staring at me everywhere I go. I'm actually kind of used to it. I get, I get used to it. I just smile at people. I get children come up to me and just give me a hug out of the blue for no reason or, or they'll like want to come up and touch my hair. It's, it's, it's kind of cute. Yeah. But I I don't get people like assuming that I got a ton of money as much as I have in the past. And I think it's probably because of the dreads. Yeah. I I know it is. Yeah. Now I kind of, well, and I kind of wear myself now to kind of advertise that I'm a street artist. And so people with that are, that are, that look like they might be street artists, they're not assumed to, assumed to have much money either. So as I've been able to kind of chip away at that assumption. Thank God. Cause that's I'm glad like, you, yeah, I'm glad so you're not, annoying. Yeah, it's <laughs> too much to just take away from your mission. So, 
Let's ask this. Where are you going next? Where do you see your, are you heading to Ecuador? Cause I know we discussed that before the show. Um, that's where I'm looking at for the, for the retreat, the resort, the, uh, eco village, the blockchain nation that I'm trying to build. I'm always, uh, scouting around and Ecuador is really on my target, my list right now. So, but yeah, where are you definitely, heading? Definitely. Definitely. too. Well, right now I'm, I'm committed to doing a house sitting here in Costa Rica until, um, the early part of June. My, my visa here is up on the 15th of June. So I have to be out of Costa Rica by then. So I'll probably go back to Panama, uh, maybe spend another two or three weeks at the most. And then, um, I'm going to go back to the Kuna Islands where the Kunas live in the, in the Guna Yaila reservation area, because that's actually on the Caribbean side in between the Panama Canal and Colombia. So I'll take a boat and go through there. But, um, I have a great blog on my story about, about the Guna Yaila and the Kuna people. I will probably stop, stop halfway there. And spend a few nights there because there's people that I, the, the indigenous people there that I met when I was traveling before that will be looking forward to seeing me again. And then I'm, um, I think I'll probably end up spending at least between one and three months in Colombia. Colombia is really, really big. I, I don't realize how big it is until I started really looking at it. And then I've got a Venezuelan friend who says he wants to take me home to Venezuela and oh, show me careful. around Venezuela. Love, be careful but in Venezuela. But he tells me. <laughs> He tells me that, you know, if I'm with, with him, I should be fine or it'll be, not should be fine, but he's promised me, he promises me I'll, I will be fine because I will have like an escort with me. And I think it's a, he says it's a really beautiful country and he really wants me to see it. So if he goes with me, I'll go to Venezuela. But if he doesn't, then I'll probably just go straight to Ecuador and then maybe I'll see you there. Because I definitely okay. want to go to Bilcombamba because Bruce, yes. the, the shaman I told you about, is the one who told me about Bilcombamba. And so... There's a huge I, I psychedelic community there. It's a huge well, psychedelic expat community in Vilcabamba. It's something I've really got my eye on. What well, when he, when again? I first heard about it, it's it, like a, a like an instant connection. Him, it was made for me. Like I know that's where I'm going. I'm I'm going to I'm going to build Kambama one way or the one way or another because that's like there's something there for me. I've known this for years. I'm 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 on my way, and then I'm, I'm going to continue going into Peru and Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Uruguay, Paraguay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably won't go to Brazil. Because it's not actually Latin America; it's it's a Portuguese, um, yes, of which I guess that that is a Latin language, but I don't speak Portuguese, so I probably won't go there. I'm not it's going much to go to easier. Not going to French Guiana. Oh, have you looked at it? Portuguese looked, is it's hard. To, it's hard to write, but it's much easier to speak. I I had a Portuguese nanny when I was younger, and I also got into looking at trying to learn a second language, and it's much easier to speak than Spanish. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. I was gonna, I was gonna talk to Corey real quick too. Look, uh, yeah. Corey, Vilcabamba is a city in the state of Loja in the country of Ecuador. And it is, um, it's a semi elevated area. So on your way down from the mountains, I think in Cuenca or Cuenca, Quinza, however you say that, that's a mountain area. And you come down to, to the state of Loja and that's sort of like a plateau valley-ish, almost touching the beach type deal. And I think there's parts where the beach is right there. But it's it's a wonderful area. It's it's really well. It has it. You know it. You know it has what uh, Ponce de Leon. They say that Ponce de Leon found the river of the the waters of eternal life there, and it actually has the largest population of people over a hundred years old uh, that are currently alive together and in anywhere in the world. 
Yeah, the, the wow. mainstream media try to debunk that with all sorts of random factors and things like that. But it really, there is evidence to show that something about the environment there, and even with the chemtrailing that's going around globally, even with all that, the environment there is very conducive to long, easy, stress-free, stress-free life that doesn't have a lot of, um, what, what is it, the uh, free radicals that are generated from the lifestyle. Here in the United States, all these deadlines and this time and this push, push, push and this get up mm. nine to five fucking every yep. day and week and month and year is the same for 90% of don't, your life. They don't have that. Don't say it too loud. They'll start chemtrailing it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we are running, we're running a little bit close on time here. So I want to, I want to give you love and opportunity to plug your blogs, anything that you're doing, any books, any links, any Facebook pages. Take a minute or take a few seconds and think about all of them. Get them all out here on the show. Cause this, this will go. It's syndicated to seven different international networks, including the iTunes network. Uh, so this will go worldwide. I mean, we don't have a huge, huge listener base, but it's in the, it's in the 10,000s. Okay. Well, I, that have, you know, that listen to the podcast after the fact. Well, I want to start off just making a little apology that my blogs have been a little um, sporadic lately because I had well, at the ayahuasca farm. I didn't have a Wi-Fi connection. And then before that, I was dealing with my broken arm. And so I'm just now getting back into blogging. Um, the one I'm going to be posting probably tomorrow is how how I have been surviving on a thousand dollars that I left with. Um so the address is www.steemit.com forward slash at love on, L-O-V-E-O-N. And then if you want to hook up with me on Facebook, my Facebook name is actually love on. That's all one word, Parker. And then in parentheses, love on Tobias, T-O-B-I-A-S. Can you spell that for them too? Because it's not love on like a, the name, even though that is your birth name, I think. You spell it differently, like actual love, L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E-O-N. Uh-huh. Perfect. All one word. And then a Parker, that's a pretty common one. And then in parentheses, love on Tobias, T-O-B as in boy, I-A-S. And uh, one of the things that I do, too, while I'm traveling, um, people that are interested in supporting me are... They are happy to send me any kind of donations through my PayPal account, um, and that's L-A-V-O-N-N-E underscore Tobias, T-O-B-I-A-S, at Yahoo.com. If you want to support me with any kind of financial donations, I'm, I'm happy to receive. I um, I don't use a lot of money, so everything that I, all the money that I use goes for any of my equipments that I need, traveling, and um Food sometimes and a place to stay sometimes, but right. so your, your money will not be wasted. I don't waste it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anybody wants to make a donation, check out my blog, you know, join Steemit, make comments, upvote, repost. Those things all help help me. And all the money that I'm making, all the Bitcoin that I'm in, that I'm creating through my Steemit blog. Yeah, that I'm I'm not touching that. I'm saving it all till I'm when I'm finished traveling and hopefully I'll have enough to um, use to start start something new when I'm done. Now, just and, for the just for the listeners that don't know, Steemit is like Facebook. Steemit is a cryptocurrency based social media platform. It's on the top of a blockchain and the currency that's used in that social media uh, platform 
is called Steam or Steam dollars. And so when you say you're accumulating Bitcoin, do you mean that you're accumulating Steam and then you're you're converting that into Bitcoin for long-term holdings? Or are you actually just accumulating Steam and going to use that for when it gets big? Yeah, yeah, that. Okay, yeah, because the, the Steam it is worth like three, it, it fluctuates anywhere from a dollar fifty to $4 to $5 uh, anywhere during the months. Yeah. And it's still in beta. And once it goes mainstream and starts taking off here in the next six months or so, which it kind of already has, it has its problems. But it, the value of that token will go up uh, thousandfold yeah. is what it's looking like. So I wanted yeah. to you, say, yeah. Could you spell your Steam it address again? Yeah, there you go www.steamit.com forward slash at L-O-V-E-O-N, Levon. Okay, cool. L-O-V-E-O-N. Yeah, and so just by, just by signing up and going and following you and liking and commenting on your blogs, people can actually contribute some Steam currency yes. to you in that, yeah. in that regard, right? Yeah, and sharing it with all your friends and such. Good, good, um, good. That's also great, too. Do you have Instagram or anything like that? Um, I also do, you know, tarot card readings. I'm a, I'm an amazing tarot card reader, as you guys already know, and um, I've been doing it for many years. I can do those online, um, and you can pay me through PayPal. That's really useful. That's super, super helpful. Um, I don't do fortune telling. I help you achieve the the goals and the desires that you have in the in the present. So, um, anybody who needs any kind of Tarot readings, that's great to also to do. And then I also have people who go to the United States all the time. So the jewelry, the jewelry that I make, I can send, send with you. So you can connect with me on Facebook and, or through an email. And then, um, you can continue to support what I'm, what I'm doing. Excellent. I'm writing blogs about food and all the travels and my own personal experience, my own bias, who I am and what I'm about, what I'm doing. Where hey, I'm going, uh, people I meet. Love, do you have the yeah. ability to write down notes right now while we're on the on the line? Can uh, you write I have paper. Where's my pen? And then I want to get back to Corey. Let him ask a few closing questions or whatever he wants to say there, and then we'll shut down the show after this. But there's something okay. I want to say yeah. to you. Yeah. All right. Apppicks.com. Uh, app or just go to Google and search for Apppicks. A P P dash P I C S. App-CS? Well, let me see here. Uh, give me one second. It's a, it's like Steam it. Apix. That's what it is. Apix. A-P-P-I-C-S. Apix. So A-P-P-I-C-S? Yeah, so you, you, you remember how Steam launched? Go ahead. Okay. A-P-P-I-C-S. Apix. Okay. This is a new Steam it, but there's still they haven't even got the beta yet. They're still doing a token launch, an ICO, an initial coin offering. And this is something okay. where they, this is better than Steam it. It's more geared to be like Facebook. All you have to do is just sign up and post short little live videos and or pictures. So it's perfect for what you're doing. And as a you could become an influencer with a lot of followers very easily because the market share is so um, is so tight. There's not a lot of dilution. There's not a lot of people doing the same types of shit because this thing hasn't even launched yet, but it's looking to launch in the next, oh, I think in the next couple months here. And you can buy their tokens with Steam. They will allow oh. you to do that. 
So if you wanted to take a little tiny, you're not going to convert your whole thing, obviously, but take a little tiny portion of your Steam portfolio, your earnings, get yourself a few of these tokens, and that just holding the tokens itself allows you to then have an account, and then you can start doing your posting and, and use it such as like an Instagram, but make money off of it and gain more followers. Oh, nice. I, I, I'm not sponsored. I don't sponsor them. I don't get paid by them. I just found it today on a whim, and I decided that's something you might want to take a look at. So Apix, A-P-P-I-C. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know, something I'd like to plug real quick, too, yeah, is anybody, if anybody's interested in wanting to jump in and travel with me, um, I'm looking for somebody who wants to travel with me, who wants to do art and learn what I'm doing. Um, also, somebody who wants to do photography, write Steam at blogs, help with the Steam blogs and just learn how, how I'm traveling. And then also, too, video, videographers, anybody who wants to make uh, videos. Um, I'm looking to get into doing more YouTubing videos and incorporating videos into um, my blogs. So if there's people that are inspired who want to, who have these skills and want to jump in with me, um, let's talk. Excellent. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, well, let's jump over to Corey real quick. And Corey, do you have any other final thoughts, closing things, uh, anything else you wanted to wrap up with? I know you didn't get a lot of chance to talk here, so I want to give that to you right now and then we'll close the, uh, we'll close the show. Well, I just want to say it was amazing to have you on. You're, you're quite an inspiration. Uh, Thanks. Interesting, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, particularly since I, I kind of was planning my own sort of walkabout, oh, about seven years ago. And the universe sort of derailed me from that. Um, and, uh, so now that opportunity is opening up again. So it was very, it was very amazing to hear of your experiences and uh, kind of bolstered my own wanderlust, if you will. So thank you. <laughs> cool. Cool. Right on time. Yeah. Well, I plan I plan to be on the uh, continuing for at least another year um, up to probably two years. So right I'm Great. still got a lot, long time left. Yeah. Yeah. Just jump this last year has gone so fast. <laughs> it seems like you filled it up. Like, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Inspirational. I really appreciate you being on and all the work that you're doing. Thanks yeah, for having me. This has been great. Likewise. Of course. And uh, we definitely want to have you back on and check up. Um, a lot of our guests also want to come back on and uh, we just, we don't necessarily lose touch. There's just so much I'm into right now. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people like Jordan Sather and Isaac Green from Anti School and Alex Jones and all these people on YouTube. They're doing a good job, but their life depends, like their livelihood depends on what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like they've mixed their truth telling with money. And I think it works for them in some regards. But me, I've, I've been a very stalwart, uh, a staunch objectionist to that. You know what I mean? So I'm, you know, it takes me a little while to pay the bills. You know, every couple of months I'll pay down a huge bill for the radio show. But it, it really is a sense of freedom for me because I'm not beholden to it. I'm not, I don't have to apologize and be like, Hey, you know, I took a break here and there or any of that shit. It's just whatever I want to do. And so I want to start converting this into a passive a wealth generation type thing, or at the very least, um, start making a little money to cover my expenses. And once I've done that, I want to keep the radio show going and actually travel. So I would, I would be linking up with people like you, especially and doing little special broadcasts here and there. So I just wanted oh, you to yeah. know I'm, I'm keeping you on the short list. There's a few people that's, that have been on our show a, that are on the short list. And you're part that's of That's a great idea. That's a great right? idea. I love that. Yeah, you I could totally the, do that. Yeah, I got to get the resources worked out here and there because uh, 
you know, there's a lot of change and stuff happening in my life where I'm transitioning into a spot. I'm getting out of a place of, of living that was just, you know, going around in a circle and just sustaining myself. And I'm trying to build this blockchain nation. And, and there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about. I'm just saying, basically. So I'll be in touch with you afterwards. And we would love to have you on again. You did an excellent job. I'm sure everybody listening mm-hmm. is inspired by your enthusiasm. And don't lose that. You're going to need it in your travels to come. Okay. Yeah, it'll be fun to see where I'm at later. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, All thank right. you again, love. Right. Uh, Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Corey. It was great to talk to you. All right, Bye-bye. love. See you later. And I appreciate your time on here, Corey, too. I know sometimes your opinion or views get overshadowed because I've just got so many damn questions coming out of my brain. But I, I like everything that you touched on and, and the places you went there. So thank you for that. And I'm glad you're inspired as well because I feel it. I feel it too. A renewed push to. Um, to get some travel going. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just jump in and do it, man. Really, uh, very interesting story, man. I'm on her steam it. There's some, uh, some great stuff on there. I encourage people to follow up on it. Excellent. Yep. So we'll just, uh, that's one more person we can add to the short list of, of networking people that we're trying to create this vision with. Um, you know, I, it's very comprehensive, man. I, I want to create an eco resort with a village for the founders to live on uh, that's all sustainable and runs itself. And at the same time, I want to have these foundations or uh, beneficial corporations or however I decide to structure them to do the creation and the outreach programs that we've been talking about. You know, like um, there's this, there's all these things like the water tower thing, the billboard that produces fresh yeah. water that you put up in Flint, Michigan. And I'm actually thinking about doing a fundraiser if I can find the right, uh, networking people. I've got a few guys in construction. I've got a few people who live in Michigan. So I don't know. I'm going to be going up against, if I do this, I'll be going up against Nestle, all the entrenched interests, interests of Nestle Corporation and the Michigan corrupt local government. But what I'm trying to accomplish is going to these water, uh, crisis areas like Puerto Rico. And again, Flint, Michigan has been there for fucking four years now and nobody's done shit about it. What's stopping us from getting a permit? Being very sneaky, go get a permit to build one of these water, uh, one of these billboards that's like it functions as a water tower with filters and it takes in the environmental moisture. You know, we talked about this on past show. All we have to do is say, Hey, we want to get a, a, a permit, a building permit for a, uh, a billboard. A you billboard, I mean? yeah. We don't even have to tell them what we're doing <laughs> and then go build a fucking fresh water installation and, and declare that the service that we're providing is free and somehow preemptively go into court and get some sort of declaratory judgment that it's our constitutional right to assist and reduce the suffering in the world. That's, that's yeah. sort of the plan I have for one area. And then the other area is building the, the homeless shelters that are self-sustaining, that run themselves, that do not cost anything and can, and can support people who can then build their lives over the course of a year long contract. And those guys can learn valuable skills to be their own boss, to start their own businesses, to create their own value instead of some bullshit fucking halfway house where they just learn how to do drugs better. They get kicked to the curb three days later, 30 days later, and they fall into the same cycles. So I want to mix yeah. the building of this eco village resort uh, with the outreach programs that I have in my dreams, if you will. And I think it's going to take a lot of people fitting into the perfect right places and love on is one of those people as well. Uh, so I wanted to thank everybody that's been on the show so far and all of my friends personally listening uh, and everybody else, all the listeners. Thank you for your support in whatever way it shows up. Uh, you know, we don't ask for it. 
but we love it and we appreciate it. And we're doing some big things in the background. So just be patient with us. If we're doing a rerun for a couple weeks at a time, I've got my nose to the wheel. I'm grinding my ass off trying to make some funding and some other connections happen. So thank you very much for being patient. We will expect to do a live show next week. If that doesn't happen, then it will be the week after. And uh, other than that, thanks again, Corey. Thanks, listeners. And until next time, pierce the veil. The truth will reveal itself. 